Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Blake Street Irregulars, your local Colorado Rockies podcast brought to you by Tap 14, 1920 Blake Street. Tap 14 is just a stone's throw from the home plate entrance at Coors Field right on the rooftop of Haters & Co. It's my favorite place to go pregame, postgame, and I'll even admit on ones when it was a little bit chilly, it might have been the whole game. They have 70 Colorado beers, 100 distilled Colorado spirits, and a locally sourced menu that rotates in and out for the season. Seasons. Chef Taylor Creedon does a great job with that. So Tap 14, check them out. Tap14.com, spell it out. Tap14.com. This is going to be a very fun podcast because one, let's be honest, we weren't entirely convinced this was going to happen since the second half of the season. The Colorado Rockies are in the wild card game. They are traveling to Arizona to face off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. My name is Sean Drotar. With me is Casey Light, former collegiate pitcher and uh, well, I, I would say kind of big cheese at Mile High Sports, kind of do everything. I'm a cheese. I don't know how big I am. I'm a cheese. We'll say that. Thank you, Sean. Glad, glad to be here. Uh, well, when you look at the way this this team has kind of limped in up until the last <laughs> few days, really, yeah, to say the into least. the postseason, sometimes uh, you'd think that that momentum maybe means that they're in trouble over the course of the game. But baseball stats, and especially the nature of one game, uh, I hesitate to use the term series, but that's what they'll call it, uh, that doesn't really bear it out. Momentum sort of vanishes entirely. Yeah, it, I've never been a huge fan of the two-team wild card play-in until this year when it granted the Rockies a spot in the playoffs. Uh, you know, I, I'm a, a bit of a traditionalist. I, I liked the single-team wild card for years and years because, A, it balanced things out. You had four teams get into the playoffs. But if it weren't for the new format, the Rockies would be once again on the outside looking in after what was a tremendous season overall. If we look back at the beginning of the season and said, hey, the Rockies are going to finish 87-75, and 75. regardless of whether they were in the playoffs or not, everyone in Denver would have taken that record and ran with it. So it's a successful season in that regard. But you mentioned limping into the playoffs, and I think that's really kind of the story of, of this Colorado Rockies club. If you look at their win percentage month by month, it's been a steady decline from April on. It literally dropped about 30% every single month from April all the way through August. Now, they rebounded nicely in September. They went 15-13 and 13 to end out the year with a couple of those Losses, I would say, as throwaway losses in that final series against the Dodgers. There wasn't a whole real big commitment to winning once they knew they were in the playoffs. Um, but they rebounded nicely. But it has not been a particularly strong finish down the stretch for the Rockies. It's been very up and down. Yeah, the offense, of course, ends up being the part that's a little bit flaky, which is kind of funny. You think of Rockies teams in the past. It's the pitching that's been inconsistent. The truth of the matter is... The pitching has been more consistent, if not elite, on this team than the way the offense has kind of been hit or missed. They go out and they'll have an eight-run game, then you'll see them get shut out three times in four nights like we did not all that long ago in in Arizona. So I I think for the Rockies, this is the big challenge is to kind of put that out of their head, try to get uh, up in a hurry against Zach Greinke on Wednesday. Greinke's a guy that has a postseason ERA of just around six. Against the Rockies this year, he's only walked – Two Rockies in his 34 and a third innings pitched against the team this season, and he struck out 37 Rockies in that span. Now, you look at that, and naturally, you probably should think, "Uh uh-oh, that's a bad sign. But for a Rockies team that's flaw, too often is the fact that they're too aggressive and they're swinging at too many pitches. Facing a guy that throws a really infrequent number of balls, 
it might actually work out okay for them if they come out aggressive. Yeah, the Rockies have had Granke's number over the last couple of years, which is the one saving grace heading into this game. Because you look at the pitching matchup, and it's a really intriguing one, because what you have in Granke is a bona fide ace. A former Cy Young winner uh, has been just really solid this year from beginning to end. Didn't have a lot of dips in, in his performance throughout the course of the year. And then in Colorado, you have John Gray, the burgeoning ace, the guy everyone wants to crown the ace, the, the, the guy with you know all of the weapons in the arsenal that you're just waiting for him to turn that corner and become that dominant command pitcher that really is, is lurking in there and you can see ready to go. This feels like one of those opportunities for Gray to take that next big step forward. His performance over the last several months has been very, very solid since coming back from that foot injury. Um, you know, really, he put him put this team on his back through much of August and September when a lot of the rest of the pitching staff was struggling. So when you talked about earlier about that one-game playoff or the one-game series, uh, you really couldn't ask for a better matchup with John Gray and Zach Ranke in this one. And Gray, in this case, is rested. This isn't something where they had to cut him short. Uh, the, the happened to work out that way. The Rockies couldn't exactly spend a lot of time shuffling their rotation because they needed to win those games to get in. But you've had a couple stats that are they're concerning. I'll give the people the good one first. I'll, I'll give them the good news. I'll play good cop. You play bad cop. Sounds in, good. In September, Gray is 4-1, and one, ERA of 2.57, striking out more than a batter in inning, 39 Ks and in 35 uh, innings to merely seven walks. So like you talked about, the, the burgeoning ace seems to be appearing and against Arizona in particular this year, 2-1, and one, 26 strikeouts in 18 innings. So an even higher rate, striking up 13 guys per uh, nine innings. He's looked really good against Arizona, but you have a couple numbers when you think about the the rest, which I look at it instinctively and go, great, he's, he's at least rested up. Maybe that'll help with the stress level. Maybe not so much. Well, I will play a little bit of, I'll, I'll add on to your good cop because you you brought up those numbers about Gray against, against Arizona <laughs> being two and one. What's important to note is that those two wins are both at Chase Field, where he's been really quite dominant this year. Um, you said the 26 strikeouts. Again, 20 of those came in his two starts in Arizona. In fact, his two season-high strikeout totals, both 10 strikeouts in each game, came at Arizona this year. So that's a very promising thing for the Colorado Rockies. He's walked only uh, excuse me, one batter. One batter. To 20 strikeouts. To 20 strikeouts at Chase Field this year. Uh, but you mentioned the rest. And that's the thing that's that's kind of the nagging doubt in the back of my mind. Uh, John Gray's last start was in a 15-9 to win at Miami on September 27th. A very important win for that Colorado Rockies team. Uh, he pitched six innings and gave up three earned runs in order to earn that win. That is the last time he has thrown September 27th. That means he's going to be on six days rest. This season on six days rest, he has made, or six or more days rest. I should I should put the caveat right. there, six or more, because he started the opener, uh, obviously against Milwaukee, and then he had that lengthy layoff where he was uh, dealing with the foot injury, came back, and was a little shaky in that first uh, return outing. But in his three starts with six or more days rest this year, he has uh, gone one and one, so he did pick up a win over those three games. But here's the real concerning number. He has an 1125 ERA. John Gray is absolutely a creature of habit. He's very much a feel pitcher right now at this point in his career. He's all about the rhythm. And so it's a little unnerving that he's going on six days rest, whereas Zach Granke is going to be going on his normal four days rest, having pitched on the 29th. Uh, it was a shortened outing. He only went four innings pitched, gave up just two earned runs, but did take a loss at Kansas City to end the season on his final start. 
Uh, but for Granky, on his standard four days rest, he's eight and three this year with a 3.01 ERA. He's been very, very solid on his standard rest. How long is the leash? If you're Bud Black and you it looks like John Gray doesn't have it, I mean, in September there seem to be options. You know, Tyler Anderson went three and one, has an ERA of one point one nine in September. Also, the eighteen to three strikeout to walk ratio, maybe not as as much of a strikeout pitcher as Gray, but he's been very effective this month. And when you look at the veteran relievers, uh, we know that Greg Holland's on the back end, but Pat Nishik has been outstanding as well in September, an ERA of one point eight, and a more long reliever role, uh, Scott Oberg has been out there with a two point two five. So knowing you have another starter that you could go to in Anderson and a, and a longer reliever in Oberg and then you can go to the back of the bullpen with Nishik and with Holland and every single one of those guys is at an outstanding September how long if you're Bud Black do you deal with the bumps in the road before you maybe start getting someone up in the pack well and let's not forget Chris Russin who has been Bud Black's fallback at pretty much every turn I mean I don't think there's an inning this season that Chris Russin hasn't pitched in even coming out of the pen in the first inning uh, when Chad Bettis was getting roughed up a couple of weeks ago uh, but it, to answer your question about the leash I, I think a lot of that is going to be a feel thing for Bud Black just simply based on what types of contact is he giving up? And what is the Rockies' offense doing against Granke? Because if the Rockies' offense is getting the bat on the ball, if, if they're striking the ball well, you know, maybe the hits aren't dropping, or, or you know, they're, but they're at least making good quality contact. If they're looking like the offensive team that we know they can be, that leash might be a three- or four-run leash. If the Rockies are struggling, if they're not putting the ball in play, if they're not uh, you know, getting good contact on the ball— you could see him pull that string pretty, pretty quickly and go to someone, like you said, like an Anderson or a Russin. Um, he's probably not going to go to those less proven guys like Antonio Senzatella, who has been used in middle relief more frequently. But maybe a Tyler late. Chatwood, a guy with more veteran experience there. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be a feel thing far more than it is just a raw numbers thing. It's going to be how is this game developing? How is this game progressing? And really, what does John Gray's command look like? Because if John Gray is giving up three runs that are on bloops and you know maybe a bad break here or there or a tweener uh, that's one thing if he's giving up a three-run home run after walking two guys that's a completely different animal well our guest again casey light you can follow him on twitter at light on his feet casey you pitched in college can you take us into the head of someone like john gray when you know that one you're fired up this is a big game for you 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 have the ability to be able to win this game but the guy on the other side you're facing also does too and you know that you can't slip up because this guy can shut your team down how do you keep an even keel do you have to have a clean first inning or two and it all falls apart or are you going to be generally capable of saying look i've gotten these guys out before you ran over his stats what he's done against the diamondbacks this year and especially in chase can you how much of that do you kind of retain and say look okay fine they have good players. Paul Goldschmidt hits a double in the first inning. I don't need to necessarily freak out. I wasn't expecting to shut these guys out anyway. Yeah, I think if you're John Gray, you can't be too concerned with what Zach Greinke is doing. Obviously, you know you have a great offense on that side of the ball. You need to be focused strictly on what you are doing. And, and like you said, uh, you know Gray has tended to have those blow-up innings. John, he, he'll, he'll run you 9, 10, 12 outs in a row and then struggle giving up four or five, six consecutive guys reaching base to give up those crooked numbers, those two or three run innings. You know, the hope for John Gray is that that comes maybe in the second inning, giving up a run or two, and not in the fourth, fifth, or sixth when it could start to devolve for him. Uh, John has become exceptionally good at 
battling through that third time through the lineup. That's what really killed him in his second year in the league, uh, or I guess last year, his his first full year, and then early on in this part of the of the year, he really struggled with that third time through the lineup. Um, the, the promising thing for me about John Gray is that he's got Jonathan Lucroy catching with him, and, and his numbers are really pretty strong with Lucroy behind the dish. Um, in his uh, 10 starts with Lucroy behind the dish, uh, he has got a 2.69 ERA this year um, and a five, roughly four and a half, um, almost five uh, strikeout to walk ratio. So that's the, to me, that's going to be the most important thing is can Lucroy keep John Gray locked in? Can he keep him focused? Can he? Because really, it comes down to the pitcher catcher relationship. Everything else that's going on in this ball game is inconsequential. John Gray and Jonathan Lucroy have to be on the same page. They have to know what their game plan is, how they're attacking these guys, and. Lucroy's been here before. That's why they brought him in. They brought him in for that experience, that veteran leadership, that playoff experience. He's not gonna he's not gonna let John Gray's blinders open up too wide on this one. And one of the nice things that the Rockies has for a pitching staff at any point is you know you have a very good defense. If you don't have elite defenders like a Carlos Gonzalez or a Nolan Arenado, you have very good ones. Trevor Story has been a very reliable shortstop. We know that DJ LeMahieu can be gold glove caliber and Blackman and, and either it's para presumably and left, I suppose. Uh, those are guys that can get it done too. So at least you can take that out of your head. But you talked about Lucroy. To my mind... As much as Greg Holland's been a valuable addition to this team, the midseason acquisition of Jonathan Lucroy seems to be as big a move as they've made. Because not only did his bat reignite in Colorado, as many guys do, but it, it wasn't just Coors Field where he's hit. It's the fact that he can bring along an entire pitching staff. He can elevate five, six, seven different guys. And he's done that. To Lucroy's effect, you know, obviously he's got to be catching, but he's also hit 311 in the, in the month of September. Not a ton of power, but that's not what you bring him in for at this point in his career. What is impressive to me is the fact he's had 16 walks to only nine strikeouts. He's getting the bat on the ball. He's able to get the Rockies productive outs. And those are sometimes the differences in in playoff baseball. When the Rockies have those big, exciting games where they blow up with big runs, those don't tend to happen. You have to manufacture runs. And that's what the one thing that I get concerned about this Rockies team is they have really not been particularly experienced or skilled in manufacturing runs. You say you get a walk, you bunt him over to first, you make sure you hit to the right side of the infield, and then you bring him in the fly ball. Well, that, that sort of thing, that hasn't been something the Rockies have done very effectively, but Lucroy's done it. And then when you look at the other side of the offense, the bright side, the big guys that have been there all year for you, Charlie Blackman, solid if not spectacular month of September. Nolan Arenado, spectacular month of September, hitting 333 with seven home runs. But even ahead of that, Carlos Gonzalez, the, the one holdover from the Rockies' last playoff appearance in 2009, is hitting 377 on the month, six home runs, 12 doubles, and strikeout-to-walk ratio has been pretty darn good. So uh, you're really getting the best of cargo at the right time, and it feels as if you're, you're adding a really impactful guy into the lineup into a situation where he's one of the few guys on this team that can say, hey, guys, I've been there. Yeah, and, and Cargo, you, you mentioned how he's been solid through the month of September, and boy, did he ever need it. Because And really, August, he started to warm up as well, because obviously we know his, his struggles through the early part of the season are well-documented. Uh, I, I think Carlos Gonzalez and Ian Desmond have a lot of p- things parallel with their seasons this year, in that they struggled very much early on. Uh, I was speaking with Anil Opiro, our Rockies beat writer, who will be in Arizona for this game, so make sure you follow him at Apiro Sports. Uh 
we were talking about the tough decision that Bud Black is going to have with his roster. You mentioned Gerardo Parra. He seems the logical guy to get the start in left field in this game, A, because he's a left-handed bat, and B, because he's just been so solid for this year. If you would have said at the beginning of the season that Gerardo Parra would have more hits than strikeouts, you'd be you, you, or more RBIs than strikeouts for that matter. I think uh, I tweeted this out the other day, but Nolan and... Gerardo Parra are the only two players on this Rockies roster that have more RBIs than strikeouts, which Parra last year was just a, a strikeout machine, and he's really fine-tuned his game to be more of a, a contact hitter, a run manufacturer. And I think Cargo and and Ian Desmond both came around to that same mentality, and that's why we've seen their resurgence. The big question that Anilo and I were debating is, who do you start at first base? Do you put Ian Desmond in there or do you put Mark Reynolds in? Because we know the big swing potential that Mark Reynolds has. Um, it's been a resurgent year for him. Uh, you know, really should be in the running for MLB Comeback Player of the Year um, in a lot of people's minds. He's He's been outstanding, uh, but he's also a huge strikeout threat. He and Trevor Story fall into that same category of guys who can change the game dramatically with one swing that can also take four or five outs out of the game just by simply striking out too and much. And kill an inning. Yeah, and, and kill an inning. And where Ian Desmond, especially of late, has really proven that he can be a rally starter. He understands manufacturing runs. And like you said, this time of year, that's really, really critical. But when we saw Ian Desmond at first base, remember, one of the curious things about the Rockies signing him to that $72 million contract was the fact they signed him to play first base, a position that he had never played at the major league level, and he hasn't exactly been sparkling there. Mark Reynolds has been very, very good and sometimes good. spectacular defensively. When you look at the, the two combined, at least in the last month, rather similar. Now, Reynolds strikes out more. Reynolds' batting average is a little lower, but we're talking 250 to 230. That Their ops are, are separated by .21. So, I mean, offensively, you've been looking at more or less the same guy. To my mind, as hard as it is, I think that Bud Black probably to swallow hard and maybe talk to guys upstairs and say, I know you gave him $72 million, but he's not starting for me today because I need John Gray to be able to be comfortable with everybody who's behind him. Uh, There's a couple games uh, in, in the late running of the season that Desmond basically got caught on an in-between play and admitted he made the wrong mistake because he just didn't have enough experience at first to know what to do instinctively. That's the kind of thing that can cost you a baseball game. So the Rockies are in a in kind of an odd spot there. I'm with you, I think, defensively, and it's defensively at both positions. Desmond is the subpar option at first. He's also the subpar option at left field. Without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, there there was you know a game not too many weeks ago where Desmond misplayed a fly ball that should have been a routine fly ball by really any account that ended up costing the Rockies the game uh, by by all accounts and put them backwards in that in that wild card chase. And so you know Desmond has he has not lived up to the expectations without a doubt, but it, he has had that heart that you that you really didn't see early on in the season. It is going to be a tough decision for Bud Black. I, I think I tend to lean with you, though, and you have to go with Mark Reynolds. Uh, and you tell Desi, hey, you're going to be our most important guy coming off of and the bench. And he's going to play and, at some and point when, in that game. Yeah, and, and at some point in the game, if if Greinke comes out and you can use him as a matchup and a solid defensive matchup um, in the outfield, uh, knowing that you're not going to lose. Yes, he's he's a step down from Gerardo Parra, but you're not taking a significant step down or putting in someone like Rymel Tapia, who has very, very little experience in such a big situation uh, out there in, in in that type of an environment. So how do, you, how do you see this game going? It's always tough when you're just predicting one single game. I mean, the edge, uh, the, the favorite is Arizona by a substantial margin. I mean, most people believe that the Rockies 
do not have a great chance at this game. They are the longest odds to win the World Series of the remaining teams. They are a heavy underdog in this particular game. But the one thing that I keep going back to before you kind of give it a look is the fact that the Rockies have had to, to scrap and fight and work their way into this this wild card spot. And yes, it came at the expense of the Brewers who ended up losing as well. But the Rockies put themselves in the position to take advantage of that with the wins they've banked over the season. So I think they earned their way in. But it was late. The Diamondbacks, as weird as this sounds, have known they were never going to catch the Dodgers for months. Mm-hmm. They've also known for the last about two to three weeks that the Rockies or Brewers or Cardinals were not going to catch them for that top spot. This game in Chase Field has been preordained for almost three weeks, no matter what the Diamondbacks essentially did, unless they absolutely collapsed. Is that a challenge that sometimes you have to find a way to flip the switch because you've been cruising? We've watched the Dodgers in other years where they've made the playoffs absolutely do this over and over again that they're doing so well and they try to flip the switch and they can't sometimes you reach back for it you can't find it yeah it's definitely a challenge for Arizona I think you know the Rockies saw this 2007 10 years ago we remember that lengthy layoff that they had after sweeping uh through the NLCS through the uh, NLDS and having that lengthy layoff waiting waiting for the Red Sox to finish that long seven game series and they just couldn't turn that, you know, they couldn't reignite that spark. And I don't think that you think back to that. I, I've never thought that the Rockies were going to beat the Red Sox in a seven-game series. That was too good a team. But they were roadkill. They, they got obliterated. And I think they would have given them a much better uh, battle. But, yeah, it looked like they just they could not recapture what they had lost. Yeah, and, and the, the nice part is if you look at what the Diamondbacks and the Rockies did down the home stretch, they actually faced similar opponents in the sense that, uh, you know, the, the Diamondback t- Diamondbacks took two out of three from the Marlins. Uh, they took two out of three from the Giants. You know, both teams that you know, the Rockies struggled with the Giants, which was very, very disappointing. That was uh, in San Francisco where Arizona had them at home. Uh, but then they went on to lose two out of three against the Royals to, to finish the season. Uh, they did finish with a bang and a 14-2 win to carry a little bit of momentum forward. But you're right, they haven't had a ton to play for uh, before that. They'd lost two of three to the Padres. And so, you know, to me, what this game ultimately is going to come down to, obviously the starting pitching that we started talking about is, is critical. Uh, but it's really how does that starting pitching handle the big bats because there are some big big bats in this game uh you know probably the biggest offseason or sorry midseason uh, acquisition uh this year was JD Martinez uh for Arizona he has just been an absolute lightning bolt for that team and they He's got him been, for nothing because yeah, and, he was a pending free agent they got him for a song yeah and and boy if you're JD Martinez and you look at what this team is doing you think boy I might want to stick around here and hit a ton of home runs <laughs> in this ballpark which is very hitter friendly um second only to Coors Field uh to me, it's a matter of can John Gray contain Jake Lamb? Can he contain J.D. Martinez? And most importantly, can he contain Paul Goldschmidt? On the flip side of that, what can Zach Greinke do with Charlie Blackman, with Nolan Arenado, and then pick your poison among the, the Rockies' sort of uh, second-tier big bats, whether that be the Mark Reynolds types or or a guy like Trevor Story, if he's going to bust out and have a big game like we know he's prone to do in Arizona. Yeah, that's the catch for the Rockies is the situation for their lineup is it is potentially... Uh, more power-packed. Uh, the consistency bottom, of Goldschmidt absolutely. is remarkable. Uh, J.D. Martinez could hit 50 home runs if he had a full season in Arizona. But you, even though you look at, a, at guys like Story and Mark Reynolds and the, the high strikeout, low batting average, but you throw one fastball at the wrong time, and that thing's going 450 feet. So it, it's a game that's really tough to predict. I, I'm excited to see how it's going to shake out. And I don't want to take a look forward too much, but I, but I have talked about the Dodgers and their playoffs. 
before the Rockies had the last two meaningless games of the, the series against the Dodgers, and they were meaningless for both the Dodgers and the Rockies. Yes. So I, I kind of like to throw that out. So 17 out of their 19 games, the Rockies had the best record by percentage against the Dodgers of everybody in baseball. The team right behind them, the Diamondbacks. Yeah, I mentioned this not too long ago in a, in a piece that I wrote, but uh, of the nine playoff teams, not including the Rockies, uh, the Rockies have faced six of them this year. They have winning records against all of those teams except for Arizona and Washington. Uh, they were guaranteed, walking into that series, that final uh, season series with the Dodgers, they were guaranteed a winning record over the Dodgers this year, which is a really important thing to be able to claim over a over a 100-win team. Uh, but it, really and truthfully, if this team's thinking too, too much about the Dodgers, you can, you can kiss that series goodbye. They need to be solely focused on going out there and putting good quality at-bats together against Zach Cranky. If the Rockies lose this game on Wednesday, how do you evaluate the season? Do you look at the season and still say this was a resounding success? Do you look at it and say it's a step in the right direction? Uh, how should fans take a look at this when you look at the, the the growth of the younger players and the addition of a lot of uh, veteran players, some of which, look, may not come back. You look at Nishik, he's a free agent. Lucor is a free agent. Carlos Gonzalez, famously a free agent. So how would you take a look at this team? Obviously, if they win and they get into the 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 uh, NLDS, I think the Rockies fans, win or lose at that point, have to say this season was a terrific success. How much does this one game define them? Well, if you look, if you think back to last year and how excited we were in mid-August that they were even flirting with 500. I mean, we were ecstatic. We were in the clubhouse. We were talking to Walt Weiss. And and just overjoyed at the thought that this team could be 500. Uh, if you mentioned all of those same free agent names, if those were acquisitions that had occurred and this team was just above 500, I think you look at it and say, boy, it was it was a wasted season, especially with the start that they had. When you look at it in the wider context and you say, hey, look, this team did win 87 games, third best record in franchise history. Uh, they hung on enough to earn this wild card berth. And I think the most important thing that they did is they convinced everyone in that clubhouse that this is a team worth sticking around for. Greg Holland is the big question mark because his payday will be immense whether he stays or he goes. Uh, and that's the big question mark. But with a guy like Pat Neshek, he might just love the Coors clubhouse well enough to stick around. Carlos Gonzalez had enough of a down year that I can't expect a lot of people are going to throw big money at him. He might look at it and say, hey, my best friend in the world, Gerardo Parra, is still on this team. We just went to the playoffs. Charlie Blackman and Nolan Arenado just put together MVP caliber seasons. I'm going to take that hometown discount. I'm going to be like Todd Helton, and I'm going to wait for the Rockies to give me my horse. Okay, they're probably not going to give Cargo a horse, but but I really can't see Carlos Gonzalez being a money chaser in this situation because I don't know that the money is necessarily going to be there. So when you look at it on the whole, this season was an absolute resounding success. When you look at it in the vacuum of what happened from June 20th on where they slid and slid and slid and took until really game 160 before they were definitively in the playoffs, there's there's some question marks there, but I think when you look at it in the larger context, it is a resounding success. If if somebody would have told you at the beginning of the season that Herman Marquez was going to lead the Rockies in innings pitched, you would say there's absolutely no way this team was a playoff team, and yet here we are. Yeah, it's been really remarkable, especially the young pitching, I think, is what has got to give fans excitement going forward, no matter how this turns out. Well, let's get down to it. Uh, 
What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> well, I'm going to absolutely hedge just the same way that I did when uh, David Hurlbut <laughs> on the morning huddle. He had me on every single month of the season and asked me point blank at the end, is this Rockies team a playoff team? And I told him I would tell him no later than October 1st. Perfect. Good uh, timing. I, 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 look, I am not, I'm not a, the type that wants to go in and predict games, especially in baseball. You know, if, if John Gray has a bad bowl of soup tonight— who knows what happens tomorrow? Uh, if you know if Zach Granke's cat is a little uh, you know wiry this evening, who knows what's going to happen? It's so hard to, to say that. You know, you you could predict a, a, a Red Sox victory in a seven game World Series. It's so hard to say that. Uh, say that anything with any kind of certainty can happen in a in a single game. Uh, winner-take-all uh, elimination game like this is in this wild-card game. So, uh, you know, more so than anything, uh, what I really want to see is I want to see John Gray come out strong, early, pounding the strike zone, uh, challenging hitters. John Gray is at his best when he is being aggressive and not trying to get too fancy, uh, making guys hit his pitches. And the Rockies have to respond by by being strong and aggressive at the plate uh, and not letting Zach Greinke uh, just paint the corners and, and you know work them up and down and in and around the zone as he is prone to do. They need to to jump on Zach Greinke very early in this game. I think that is the, the single most important part of it. Greinke, when he trails, when he has a bumpy first couple innings, he can have problems the rest of that game. He does throw a lot of strikes. Strikes out a lot of guys too, but he throws a lot of strikes. Uh, the Rockies may have to come up there very aggressive and to a certain extent, you, you just hope you catch one and, and things happen. So uh, they're, they're behind the eight ball a little bit, but they're also to a certain extent playing with house money and they've been playing for their playoff lives for the last couple of weeks i like their chances i'm with you a single game i have no idea i mean it's baseball you know randy johnson hit a bird once while he's throwing a pitch so <laughs> you, you never know in baseball we hope but, there won't uh, be any inside of chase right, field uh, the, right. they should probably have the roof closed and there there won't be any uh uh aviary concerns uh, on Wednesday evening. Right. But. 96 degrees at, at the first pitch. The roof will presumably be closed. I think that's actually probably a good thing. It's a consistent sort of temperature for everybody. Uh, it'll be expected. So uh, regardless, this is going to be a fascinating, a fascinating moment, a fascinating game. And, and really, it, it does feel like perhaps a turning point for the Rockies franchise, win or lose. If they come back next year and still look like a team that's building in the right direction, uh, this is where you maybe are able to take a step back at the franchise and say they hired outside the organization for their manager. They have in the past two years let their new general manager basically call all the shots, and it's worked. Does ownership continue to have a hands-off approach and let the baseball things? If that's the case, this may be a turning point in not only the Rockies' season, but it may be a turning point in the franchise. So it will be an absolutely fascinating event to watch on Wednesday. We will be back breaking this down one way or another, hopefully breaking down a series against the Los Angeles Dodgers. But one way or another, we'll be back to talk about it later in the week. He is Casey Light of Mile High Sports. Follow him on Twitter at Light on His Feet. Uh, has terrific content at MileHighSports.com, including if you haven't had a chance to read it as we record this on Tuesday, a uh, very touching and poignant article about experiences uh, regarding sports and, and how it really is impossible to separate them from uh, some challenging moments in history. It's a terrific piece. Maybe go sure that you can check that out as well. And uh, I will be back with you as always. I think we've done, I think it's uh, about 32 of these, and uh, we'll be back for at least one more so thank you very much for listening thanks very much to tap 14 uh, make sure you check them out look they're not playing this one in in colorado so go check it out at tap 14 on wednesday night and if the rockies are lucky to come back on friday well i can tell you there's a lot 
the places that are worse to spend your Friday evening pregame than Tap 14. So check them out, tap14.com. Spell that out, Tap 14. Uh, that is Colorado through and through, just like this podcast. And presumably, if you're listening, just like you. Thank you very much for tuning in. This is a Mile High Sports. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.